praise. Let's uh, bow in prayer. Lord, you are separate and you are one of a kind. There's none like you. And we know, Lord, uh, if you had not revealed yourself, we would not really know you. And so we thank you that you are, as the holy God, one who also, as a holy God, has revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the living word, and also in the word of God, the scriptures. And so, Lord, today we pray that we might have eyes to see Christ in the written word of God, that we might know what it is to have Christ proclaim to us that the gospel might be that which we focus on today and we might find life, we might find help and hope through Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, if we're honest, we'd have to admit that spring, the spring of 2017, really has been unusually cool. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, when you think about it, May, pretty much all the month of May and most of the month of June up till yesterday have been rainy, overcast, and, un- and really unseasonably chilly. I'm not complaining, just stating a fact. But the heat is coming. The dog days of summer, right around the corner. And for some of us, and I'm speaking for myself, humidity plus heat equals misery. It leaves us dragging. And for some of us, we don't function well when we're sticky, when we're smelly, when we're sweaty, when we're miserable. Now's the time to prepare. It's time to put that air conditioner in the window. It's time to replace that air conditioner that's maybe installed the wall, doesn't work well anymore. There are two types, of course, two types of air conditioners. If you ever go to buy one, they're going to show you the difference between this one and this one in the major category. There's, there are units that run off of 110 power. Now, they're going to provide you a decent amount of cool, refreshing air. That's true. But if you really want to cool down your space, a large room, a, var- a really large section of your home, you need the big one. You need a 220. A 220 air conditioner has the most capacity to cool, to overcome that misery factor in those hot, humid summer days. And so I would suggest to you, if you're going to get one, forget the cost of power here. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about one that runs off of 220 would definitely help you win the battle over heat. Now, obviously, I'm not here working for P.C. Richards and Sons, trying to sell you an air conditioner. I'm not here to discuss just issues about air and body temperature. I'm here this morning to address the issues of your heart. And you're going to see, hopefully, how this analogy is going to tie together. If your heart this morning is weighed down with this nagging sense of frustration, that you never seem to get your spiritual act together. You need God's 220. If your heart is discouraged because you repeatedly compare yourself to other Christians around you or other people around you 
who appear to be so joyous. They appear to be the kind of people that are so bold in their gospel proclamation and witness. And you're always feeling like you're jealous or you're comparing yourself with them. You need God's 2020. 220, excuse me. If your heart keeps falling back into the mode of feeling like you have your act together, but what really annoys you is all the people around you, the other people, who can't handle the basic 101s of life as well as you do. Guess what? You need God's 220. And if your heart is running on empty and you wishing you could feel more encouragement, more motivation, to do what you know God wants you to do, then I assure you, you need God's 220. What am I talking about? What is God's 220? Well, we're not talking about air conditioners here. We're talking about a verse in the New Testament. A verse in the New Testament that reminds us of the glories of the gospel. It's found in Galatians chapter 2. I want to read just a few verses leading up to this verse. It's a long section there. Uh, I preached through Galatians a number of years ago. Uh, it's all tied together, but I'm just going to uh, start in here, verse 19. For though the law, through the law, I died to the law, that I might live to God. This is Paul explaining why he does not buy into what many people in that area were beginning to influence the church there, churches in Galatia, to go back into legalism. And he's saying, listen, don't buy into that. Here's some reasons why. He says, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. This verse is jam-packed, verse 20, 220, is jam-packed with insights, powerful reminders, powerful truths, powerful principles to help us in the struggles of life that many of us are going through right here and right now. The verse will help us to understand how the gospel empowers new living. It provides us help and hope, which could be so much more joyful in life when we realize what it means to be and actually experience the, the reality of being united to Christ. Now, I want to describe to you a sad situation. Suppose, again, we go back to the analogy of the air conditioner just for a second. You've got the rising levels of humidity. You've got the rising temperatures that come in the hot summer days. And you are perspiring profusely. It's disgusting. And you have a special 220 plug in your home where you live. It's installed correctly. You've got this large capacity AC unit right there in the wall. And there you are with the plug, not even plugged in, and you're fanning yourself with some paper plate just trying to survive. Now, if you came upon a person who was facing that kind of situation and it's been so bad, they've, not, they've just stayed in this day in, day out, and they're facing dehydration, 
and misery factors are just escalating by the moment, what are you going to say to that person? You're going to do two things. Plug that AC into that 220 and turn it on. You're suffering needlessly. So what I'm doing here this morning is I'm trying to urge all of us to take full advantage of God's 220. To feel the power, to experience the reality, to know what it is like to have Christ in you and to live your life knowing those realities are in place. So if you're dragging in your spiritual life, if you're weary of trying to meet expectations, if you're worn out from feeling like you never do enough for Christ, I want to help you find cool relief for your soul and make sure to urge you to plug into God's 220. How do we do that? Let's look at three points here in this particular verse of Scripture. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Gospel living is rooted, number one, in the reality of our union with Christ. Union with Christ. It's so important to read exactly what Paul says in this text. Notice as we read the verse, that first phrase, Paul is not listing a number of commands together. It says, do this and then do that. Be sure to follow up and do this. He doesn't, that's not what this verse is saying, is it? There are, no, there are other texts where Paul says that we must put to, dead, put to death excuse me, the deeds of the flesh. That's a whole other passage there in Colossians 3, verse 5 and following. He talks about immorality and impurity and passion, evil desire and greed. You have to put those things to death. That's a whole other point. He's not talking about that here. What Paul is saying here is he's reminding us of what has already happened to all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. He's saying, if you back up for a moment, think about what it's like in this experience of spiritual realities. He says, apart from the gospel, we were on our own. We were left to fend for ourselves. We were left to keep the law perfectly, to somehow escape the penalty that we were going to have to face as lawbreakers. And as hard as we may have tried in the past, as hard as you're maybe trying now, guess what? You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be loving enough. You're never going to be self-controlling enough to measure up to the standards that the law demands. Because the law has a very high standard. It says it's 100%. It's perfection. In the gospel of grace, however, we are joined to Jesus Christ by faith. And we are united to Jesus. We share in all that He is and all that He has done. And we are united to Christ in His crucifixion. We share in all He accomplished on the cross. That's what Paul is talking about here. He said this happened in the past, but there are amazing implications and practical benefits that continue to go on and on. That's the tense of the verb he uses there. We share in all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Now let's think about this idea of union, union with Christ. Let's think of an illustration in a physical sphere, physical union. Go back to the story of the world about the time of Noah, in which there is so much wickedness all around the world. All of the people of the earth, the Bible says, 
all of the, it's the rebellion against God, it's widespread wickedness, and God says, okay, enough's enough. This cannot be tolerated any longer. And God warns them through Noah and says there's coming the storm. And so finally, that never happened before, here comes the breaking open of the heavens, the opening of the flooding of the, uh, of the deep seas, and here comes the flooding of the entire earth. And the ark that Noah had been constructing went through the judgment of God, but Noah and those who were in the ark were preserved in the midst of that judgment. That's to be in something, and by virtue of being in that, in the ark, they were preserved, protected, and seen through the judgment. How about an illustration of a relational union? Between a man and a woman in marriage. I heard a guy tell a story uh, recently about his own, the benefits that he gained in marriage, I guess is what you should put it. He was talking about the fact that he met his, uh, some, uh, his future wife when they were in college and uh, they began to get serious in this relationship and so they finally got engaged. He had another year of college to finish. She's already uh, working and had graduated and so he said his life was so different from his wife because his wife is working she's got a decent income and she's in such a better place she has a, a cash flow that's really a good way to be and he says I'm living in a poverty life I have no income basically no no real cash flow I've got huge amounts of debt from college uh, loans he's broke and he said finally when he graduated and soon thereafter they were married, and she said, I do, and he said, I do. He said, at that moment, it's incredible. He said his situation drastically changed because he said at that moment when they were joined in marriage, her cash flow became his cash flow. Now, he did end up getting a job. I'm not trying to say he mooched off her the rest of his life, but her cash flow at that moment became his cash flow, and his debt all of a sudden now became shared with both of them. And his financial burden was lifted by her savings account when they were joined together in marriage. I'd say this guy married up, wouldn't you say? Because they became one. He was joined in union with her. She was joined in union with him. Now, apart from Christ... All of us are lawbreakers. We are people who deserve condemnation. And the law leaves us guilty. The law leaves us ashamed. The law leaves us hopeless. But if by faith we are joined to Christ, we are joined to Christ's death and his resurrection, Romans 6 says, we are no longer under the penalty of the law. When a person comes to faith in Christ and is united to Christ, that person shares in the wealth of this vast, incredible payment that Jesus has made for our sins. The wealth of his righteousness now becomes ours, and we can claim what never was ours to now be ours because we've been joined to Christ and united to him in faith. There's a quote in your bulletin I thought was helpful from Jerry Bridges says, because of our union with Christ, God sees His holiness as our holiness. Wow! That's what you call marrying up, if you will. 
joining in the benefits of what Christ has for us. Jesus suffered the punishment for sin that he didn't deserve, and his payment is applied to our account. And that's why Paul says at the end of 2 Corinthians 5, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be sin or the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Union with Christ, my friend, that is an awesome, super help. It is God's 220 for those of us who desperately need covering and help and grace. Secondly, notice here in this text that gospel living is enabled because believers are indwelt by Christ. Again, the background is important to keep in mind here. I encourage you to reread that whole passage there in Galatians chapter 2. But Paul is doing his best to defend the gospel from legalism. A number of people at that time were insisting that gaining a right standing with God requires more than just simple faith, more than just trusting in Jesus. They were saying that we have to measure up and keep all the rules. And years earlier in Paul's life, he was consumed with just that, keeping all the rules. And he did keep a bunch of them, no question about it. He was a good old boy, if you will. You never seen somebody, oh, you're such a good little boy. You know, the kid's always doing right. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, he's just wreaking havoc. And who knows what goes on in the heart and in the mind of somebody who's doing all the right things. Oftentimes, we have no idea. But what happened here? Paul finally realized when God stopped him in his tracks, his self-righteous tracks, his blindness, he couldn't see what really was going on, all of the outward piety, it looked so impressive. But he and his attempts, best attempts, to, they fell short of God's standard. What's God's standard? Perfect holiness. Perfect holiness. He needed, Paul needed, we need God's 220. How are we doing? Would you say that you've gained victory over your natural tendency to hold grudges? Are you a person that says you can find, you tend to be a person who is in the habit of finding excessive fault with other people around you? You tend to be hypercritical of other people? You tend to be a person who's having a hard time stopping the, the habit of gossiping? How can we begin to have new desires? How can we get to the point in our life where we begin to really start doing what God lovingly calls us to pursue and to have some sort of increasingly improved turning away from sin in our lives? And the answer is not trying harder. The answer is not believing in yourself more. I believe the way to which we find motivation to find help to walk in God's ways is found in this text of Scripture right here. It is in the provision of Jesus' ongoing, 24-7, indwelling presence. Look what the text says. Christ is living in me. It's a present tense verb. It's a reality that's all the time. Now, when we're saved, I know this is true. Perhaps you can admit it's true as well. When you're saved... One's outward appearance doesn't change much at all. Right? It's like 
your hair color doesn't change automatically and you don't have less freckles and you don't have you know, less wrinkles or whatever. We aren't given an outward makeover when we come to Christ. But what we are given is an inward, internal transformation. There's change that's happened inside of us. You see, religion is not about that. Religions of the world always are pointing to and, and putting a focus on applause and celebrating outward keeping of rules and rituals and doing this and doing that. But the gospel of grace promises internal changes whereby Jesus Christ takes up residence within our hearts. If you look back in Colossians chapter 1, if you want to just look at a couple pages there beyond where you are now, but Colossians 1.27, page 1400, Pew Bible, amazing verse, tucked in there where Paul's talking about the wonders and the glories of Jesus Christ and who he really is versus what other people have said about him falsely. But God at one point willed to make known something that was not very clear in the Old Testament scriptures. He's going to make it clear now that Christ has come, and that is this. He says, because of the gospel, Christ, verse 27, dwells not merely among us, not near us, Christ does not dwell around us. He dwells in us, in his people, including non-Jews, he said. Even the Gentiles, Jesus Christ actually takes up residence within them. Other scriptures add to that same amazing theme in Jesus in the Gospel of John mentions in chapter 14, verse 23, this amazing statement. He says, if anyone loves me, this is Jesus, if anyone loves me, and he, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. You don't get that in religion. This is Christianity. This is knowing and being indwelt by Jesus Christ. Notice also Ephesians chapter 3, Paul in his prayer asks God to grant these fellow believers according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inward man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, some of us may own some of these fancy new cars. Some of us keep hearing about them and reading about them. But there are cars these days that are amazing in how they've been engineered to do things that can assist a driver because the drivers aren't always perfect in how they drive a car. And so they've engineered them in such a way that the car will break automatically if the driver for some reason cannot react fast enough and is texting a friend. Don't be doing that, sorry. And if the person is distracted for a moment, who's the driver, and all of a sudden the brakes will slam on so that you won't hit the car in front of you, or perhaps you're backing up and you're about ready to hit something behind you, it will actually stop the car for you. That is amazing. Why did I go to driver's ed class when they got cars like this? Isn't that something? Internal safety systems that are built into the car helping the driver. Now, that's a poor comparison, believe me. But what a difference it makes with the reality that Jesus Christ 
takes up residence in our hearts. Rather than being motivated in the Christian life by fear, we we are motivated because of Jesus, out of love. Rather than standing beside us, urging us to try harder, Jesus comes to dwell inside of us. He does what? He continually reminds us of the depth and the wonders of his love for us. That he really loves us. And he also is there and he's constantly reminding us that, listen, I'll give you help, I'll give you power. You need power? I'll give power to you. Power to make choices, to move in line, more in line with his will for us. Now obviously there are times we ignore his prompting, we, we suppress Uh, his urgings, but Jesus doesn't abandon us when we act like that. He doesn't throw us to the side and say, oh, come on, you've given in to temptation in another moment of weakness. What am I going to do with you? No, that's not the way he deals with it. He is what? He indwells his people. He's still with you now. He's going to be with you tomorrow. He's going to be with you till the end. He indwells his people. I was very impressed as I talked to somebody earlier this week on the phone. There's nobody here this morning, so don't try to figure out who this is. Um, this guy I was talking to, giving me an update about his situation in life, and he and his wife, and their family. And So as we talked, he said, you know, it's really not been too easy time in my marriage. He says, my wife has had some physical problems. They found out that her hormones are way out of balance, and there's a lot of internal Uh, issues that the doctors are trying to resolve and during this time in which he was really having some struggles physically it resulted in changing dramatic changes of her demeanor changes in her general energy level and just she just was not the person he had known all these years and so she was no longer upbeat and encouraging and affirming she had become a person who was critical and angry and intense and moody hopefully that's not true of somebody you know uh, real well. But anyway, so this friend was saying that as a result, they started arguing a lot more, having lots of conflict, having lots of disputes with each other, much more so than in the past. And so my friend was saying to me, what really helped him through that time was to keep going over the reality of what's true in the gospel. He kept telling himself, Christ loved his bride and never treated his bride the way that his bride treats him. So he kept meditating on that, kept thinking about that. And he talked about that on the phone with me. He says, Jesus' promptings within him kept pointing him to the gospel of how Jesus deals with him and how gracious he is. And he said, that really helped me in the process of dealing with my wife during this long period of time. How Christ dealt with his church is how I am now, have the privilege of now showing that to my wife. And he says, He wasn't perfect, of course, but he was willing to be a more patient toward her. He was willing to be a little bit more forbearing toward her, knowing that she was struggling. She was not herself. It was a hard time. And what he was basically saying was, because Christ is in me, and he kept reminding me of the great love that he has for his church, that helped me realize how much I'm loved, and therefore I could love my wife when she needed my love. So I say again, are you in need of help? Are you unmotivated in your Christian walk? Take advantage of God's 220. Christ in you, living in you. 
A third point real quickly here before we conclude this overview of this one powerful verse, God's 2.20. We learn here that gospel living is characterized by confident trust in Christ. He goes on to say in the verse, The life I now live in the flesh, that means in this body, still living in this world, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The world continually encourages us to be self-confident. I keep thinking to myself, self-confident? Rely on your own instincts. Rely on your own intuition. Rely on your own willpower. But Paul is writing to the Galatians to do just the opposite. He's trying to combat the false notion that relying, <clears throat> those who have been taught that they were told to rely on Jesus and to trust in him, to make us right with God, and only that's, that's all that's required. He said that's, he, they, were, they were teaching that that's not enough. They need to do more. These false teachers insisted that a good performance record is the ticket to finally gain full acceptance and spiritual status before God. But the Christian life, my friend, is not all about having confidence and trust in ourselves, in our performance. It's all about having trust and confidence in Jesus Christ and His performance and His righteousness and His obedience and His death on the cross. Notice he says, I am living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. Instead of trying to justify ourselves, the gospel points us to completely trust in Christ. Faith, then, points us away from ourselves and points us to Christ. And what are we going to see as we are pointing to Christ? Notice the end of the verse there. Paul is very, very, very clear here. He's pointing to Jesus' love. He says, in love, Jesus reaches down to wherever we are and he lifts us up. Jesus' love is not some indiscriminate wish of, of the well-being for all mankind. You know, some sort of gobbledygook that just means, oh, I hope it goes well for everybody. Some kind of mushy, modern kind of love, loving kind of thoughts. Notice what he says. No, Jesus loved me, and Jesus delivered himself up for me. Jesus' love never fails. It is a love that's not earned. It is not given as a reward for good behavior. Jesus' love is not, it, it is actually freely given to each child of God, personally and generously. And faith, then, is my response to that love that says, I'm not going to rely on my feelings. I'm not going to rely on my surroundings. I'm not going to rely on my successes or my cleverness or whatever it is. I'm going to rely solely on the finished work of Christ his death, and his resurrection, and that's what I'm going to base my sense of joy on today. The Christian life is one of confidence in Christ. Forget this self-confidence stuff. Don't doubt Jesus' saving work for you. His work will deal with your past, it will deal with your present, it will deal with your future. Don't doubt Jesus' ability to hold on to his own. Because it says in Romans 8, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. 
Now hear me out, my last point here. The dog days of legalism, of works righteousness, can wear you right down. They can just make you feel like you don't want to do anything. So stop living in misery. Take advantage of God's 2020. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these glorious, amazing truths contained and packed into this one verse, Galatians 2.20. We thank you, Lord, that there is life to be lived in Christ. That because of a loving Savior, each, each person here can enter into a life that is indescribably wonderful and blessed and amazing to think of Jesus actually inhabiting and living in us, to think that we could be joined and and put in union with Christ and all he's accomplished. Lord, we pray that you would point our hearts into the direction of engaging our hearts in response by faith, to plug into the power of this truth. Help us, Lord, not to live by our feelings. Help us to take you at your word to respond in simple childlike faith and to experience these realities in our life in the here and now. And Lord, for someone here this morning who is trying hard to be better and to do better and to compare and contrast themselves to other people and measure themselves by other people around them, Lord, I pray that you'd set them free from that tyranny and show them the glories of the gospel of grace. May they trust Christ and know what it is to be liberated from the condemnation of the law and to know what it is to be fully forgiven, accepted, and fully pleasing in your sight. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, powerful 220 that you provide to us through Christ. May it truly empower us to live for you and to glorify you in all things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.